0: morning by playing a game is that all right can we play a game together it's a pretty simple game it requires you to do one of two actions we're going to play a game of would you rather and if if you want to take the first option then i want you to stay sitting down if you want to take the second option i just want you to stand up on your feet is that cool makes sense kids all right so if you want the first one sit down if you want the second one stand up Would you rather eat two rotten tomatoes or a can of cat food? Oh, we got one standing up, going with the cat food. Everyone else, we want the rotten tomatoes. Interesting. Okay. All right. Next round. Would you rather swim in a pool of spaghetti or shower in lemon juice? Spaghetti sit down, lemon juice stand up. Oh, okay, we're, we're pretty split here. You want the lemon juice shower? Hopefully, you haven't got any paper cuts anywhere when you have that shower. Okay, all right, next one. Would you rather lose the ability to talk or have to say everything you think? <laughs> okay, interesting. I would sit down for this one, I think. I'll just learn sign language. I have too much going on in my head. Okay, all right, next one. Would you rather, this is a fun one, would you rather have a pig nose or elephant ears? Oh, a lot of big, flabby elephant ears, okay. And then, then surgery. Mitch is already married, so it doesn't matter. Okay. All right, what about this one? Would you rather sit down next to a sleeping lion for 10 minutes, wild one, or jump over an angry crocodile? Sleeping lion, interesting. This is a wild, oh, jumping over the angry crocodile. Because the crocodile, I mean, you just get a, a good pace on. You just jump over it short ways and then just keep running. They can jump up, but yeah, that's true. They're really fast in water, but not on land. We learned that at Australia Zoo. Interesting. Okay, we're going for the lions. I didn't, didn't predict that. Okay. Would you rather eat only celery and live for 20 more years or eat your favorite food for a week and then die? <laughs> okay. All right. Very interesting. Interesting. I think I would choose the celery, provided it had enough sustenance to keep me alive. I might have to eat a lot of it. Okay. Would you rather eat a dead bug or a live worm? Dead bug, live worm, live worm. Most people dead bugs. Okay. Just deep fry a bit of a tarantula would be good. <laughs> you can do both okay would you rather i thought this one up would you rather have one nostril or two noses <laughs> two. one on the front one on the back Catherine makes a good point what if you get sick and your nose gets blocked if you only have one nostril that maybe it's better to have two noses i don't know But then if you get really sick, you've got to blow two noses. Mm, It's a very (laughs) tricky one. All right, i got two more. Would you rather sneeze cheese or cry custard tears? (laughs) Interesting, a lot more on the custard. Mitch is definitely sneezing cheese. Make sure you catch it on the way down. All right, last one. Would you rather go surfing in shark-infested waters, or play golf on an old minefield? Really? Okay. It's a pretty tricky one. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for playing with me today. This morning, I want to speak about being out of options. Who felt in some of those that you would like, I don't want to do either of those things? Yeah, I tried to make them pretty difficult to choose because I felt like God wanted me to talk about being out of options. So say out of options to the person next to you. Now say it like you're panicking and you're really out of options. Out of options. We're out of options. Can you think for me what your favorite movie is? Think about your favorite movie. Now I, I bet that the, some of the best parts of that movie are when the main characters are out of options. I was thinking like Lord of the Rings, Battle of Helms Deep, you know, they're, they're, they're retreating further and further into the stronghold and the Urukai army are, are coming in, they're killing them. They're, it looks like there's no hope and then all of a sudden, Look to the east, the light on the fourth day or whatever it is. And, and Gandalf comes in and, and saves the day right at the moment when there was no option. Or in the latest Star Wars movie that had come out, The Last Jedi, I won't, I won't spoil it for too many people in case you want to see it before episode nine. But, you know, the, the, the resistance are caught up behind this big door and the First Order is about to take them down. And just when they're completely out of options, Luke Skywalker shows up to take on the First Order single-handedly or i thought of that famous scene in karate kid where he's he's fighting this guy he's injured he's not you know he's he doesn't have many options left we think he's what's going to happen is he going to lose and then the crane kick comes up oh here we go and then he kicks him in the head and and, and finishes off who's seen cobra kai the the spin-off series oh yeah you've got to watch that anyway that's just, that's an, an, another side point but these moments in our favorite movies, the moments when the heroes are completely out of options, they're usually the climax of the movie. And the more unpredictable and hopeless the situation seems, the more we like it, right? We, we don't want a movie to be predictable. We want it to shock us. We want the hero to save the day miraculously out of nowhere and us to walk out satisfied going, wow, I thought there was no chance. But everything came through in the end. We feel relieved and satisfied because the impossible happened. Now, we love it when these things happen in movies, but we don't feel the same when it happens in real life, do we? We don't like it when we don't have any options left. We don't like being in a hopeless situation where we can't see the way out. We don't like stepping out on a limb or being at the end of our rope And we stress and strain to avoid being in that place. We will do whatever it takes to not end up in a hopeless situation. But I want to suggest today that instead we should embrace being out of options. Because that is the place where we get to see God move the most. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And we're going to read all the way to verse 12. So if you want to read with me, they'll be up on the screen. And will like the message version for this case. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Very interesting point there, but that's another message. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel lost, when you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you'll find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and you discover your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even, for they don't like it. I do. And all heaven applauds And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Thanks, Jesus. That's kind of encouraging. (laughs) Kind of daunting. But this morning, I want to talk about being out of options. And I have two different types of people that might be in this room. And the first one, we're going to look at a story in the Bible in Jonah chapter 1. The story of Jonah. And he represents people that are holding on. So let me kind of give you the Jesse version of the Jonah story. So God had a plan for where he wanted Jonah's life to go. He asked him, Jonah, you're a prophet. I want you to go take my words to Nineveh. And Nineveh were a bad city. They were the worst of the worst the place that you don't want to go because who knows what could happen to you. And Jonah thought, screw that. I don't want to go to that place. I don't want to tell them that you're going to judge this nation because they'll turn on me. And so instead, instead of listening to God, Jonah went, well, I'm going to go in the opposite direction, the literal opposite direction to where God asked him to go. And he goes to the port and talks to some sailors and buys a ticket to a place called Tarshish. Tarshish kebab. That's how I remember it, at least. And so he talks to the sailors. They say, "Sure, come on, come on board. You know, no worries. You're going to pay the fare. We'll get you there. and We'll go to Tashish." And so he comes on board, and then God starts to whip up a storm, and they're out on the ocean, and this storm gets gets big. There's huge waves and the wind's billowing and the rain's coming down and and the ship is shaking and the mast is starting to crack and the, the sails are starting to tear and the boat's starting to break apart. And the sailors are, are, are panicking and they don't know what to do. They think they're going to die. And so they decide to, to go and chuck things overboard. So they're throwing cargo overboard. They're throwing everything they can to lighten the load so that hopefully the ship can stay together until the storm passes. But it's not passing. Now, meanwhile, while this is happening, Jonah has decided to go for a sleep. So Jonah's asleep underneath, below deck, under the thing. He's in a very deep sleep, probably enjoying the rocking of the boat. Who who likes rain on the roof when you're sleeping? And a bit of a rocking, you know, we all love that since we're babies. So Jonah's probably having a great sleep. That's why he hasn't woken up yet. But they come down, they're like, Jonah, Jonah wake up. Can't you see? Don't you care that we're about to die? Can't you do something? Why don't you pray to your God or something like that? And so Jonah's kind of a bit startled, dazed and confused. Okay, yeah, this is really serious. And Jonah starts to realize, oh, I know what this is. God has tracked me down. He knows that I'm disobeying him. And so the sailors are running around frantically trying to solve the situation. And 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 Jonah says, well, I, I think this might be my fault. And they're like, no, 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 what are you talking about? No, 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 you know, you're just a humble guest. I'm sorry that we happened to get into this storm. You know, this, is, this happens sometimes. And, and so what, what the sailors decide to do is they cast lots, which I like to think of as our modern-day version of rolling the dice and hoping that God gives us the right answer. So they cast a bunch of lots, and sure enough, okay, if we roll a five, it's going to be Jonah's fault. If we roll a four, it's going to be Larry's fault. And, and, and they roll this thing, and sure enough, it lands on Jonah. And says, Jonah is the reason for this storm. And he's like, yeah, it's me. And they're like, no, 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 don't be silly, don't be silly. He's like, no, you're going to have to throw me overboard. Now think about that. This guy has decided to deliberately run away from God because he fears for his life in Nineveh. And he has now gotten to the point where he's decided he needs to surrender his life and be thrown into the, the stormy ocean. Anyway, after a while... The sailors are like, no, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. But they realize we've got no choice. We're going to sink. This boat's going down and we're all going to die. And so they said, all right, you know, God, don't hold this against us. You know, he asked for it literally. And so they throw Jonah overboard into the ocean. And all of a sudden, the storm begins to calm down and the waves so uh, the, the boat keeps going on and Jonah's left there in open water by himself now all the sailors said this is incredible we should get more of Jonah's just in case we can throw them overboard for future storms but but that it says the Bible says that they all follow God they all rep, um, changed to follow God as the true God in this moment because they were so amazed and Jonah's there in open ocean and sure enough we know that a giant fish comes out and gobbles him up I mean talk about surfing in shark infested waters he gets swallowed whole and somehow survives for three days with enough oxygen in there god must have sustained him and spat out on land right where he was supposed to be in Nineveh pretty pretty crazy story isn't it now i i think in this case god actually removed jonah's options There was a certain way that God wanted Jonah to go, but he resisted it. What what did I call these people? Holding on. He was holding on to things that he didn't want to let go to God. He, He wanted to hold on to his own plans and his own ways. But God closed doors and shut off opportunities and directed him the way that he wanted him to go. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, it says this, The heart of man plans his way. But the Lord establishes his steps. Sometimes we think that we want our life to go in a certain way. But we'll find that God will be directing our steps and taking us on the way that he wants us to go. Sometimes an opportunity will just be shut on you. Or a door will just be slammed in your face. Or you'll see a red traffic light come up and and everything will grind to a halt. And you're like, come on, I thought I was going this way. But I believe God is just removing options because He wants us to get to a place where we have to surrender to Him and to what He wants us to do. We should embrace the storm and trust that God is actually directing our steps. Now, the second type of person, I think, is illustrated in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. And here we find a story of a man named Naaman. N-A-A-M-A-N. He's got as many A's as other letters in his name. And he represents people that are holding back. So Jonah was people that are holding on. Naaman represents people that are holding back. See, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Ar- Aram. Aram. I always say Aram, but I'm pretty sure it's Aram. That's my Aussie Aram. Yeah, from Aram. <laughs> the king of ram right so he is the commander of the king's army a very powerful nation he's a very powerful and important man the king loves him the people love him everyone loves naaman he's really got it going for him except the problem with naaman is he has leprosy this white flaky condition on his skin and all of his skin is covered in it it's itchy it's uncomfortable it makes you feel sick and he was considered unclean, and a lot of people don't want to be near him, even though they really respect this man, Naaman. Anyway, in one of his conquests, Naaman's army had captured an Israelite girl, and they had made her a servant to Naaman's wife. She was the maid servant, you know, did the, the washing and things like that. And, and this girl noticed Naaman's condition, and she said, Hey, if you don't mind me saying, there's a man in Israel named Elisha. He is the prophet of God, the Most High God, and he can cure your leprosy. Now, there was no cure for leprosy in that time. That was completely unheard of. And Naaman thought, well, I've tried everything else. I want to get rid of this, so why don't I give it a go? So Naaman, he grabs a company of his men, and and they set off from Aram all the way to Israel. And they had some meetings with the king of Israel, which is a bit awkward and but they eventually found Elisha's house. And so they rock up to Elisha's house. And Elisha says to his messenger, hey, I can see they're coming. Can you run down to the letterbox and meet them there and tell them the, cure to the, to, the way to cure his leprosy is you need to go and have a bath in the Jordan River seven times. Do seven dunkings in the Jordan River and then you'll be made well. So the messenger's like, okay, no worries. He runs down the driveway to the letterbox or whatever the equivalent was back then. And he he meets Naaman and his company who have just rocked up at Elisha's house. And he says, all right, if you want to be healed, then run to the Jordan River and bathe yourself seven times. Now, Naaman, he's like, excuse me? Like, I've come all this way and... You're not even going to come out of your house and, and talk to me. I mean, he, he thought Elisha should come out and do some magic hocus pocus, jiggery pokery and magically cure his leprosy and, and heal him of all of his conditions. And he thought there should be some miraculous, amazing event that he could go home and tell his wife about. But instead, he didn't even come out to see him and he said, just go, to, go down to that river. And he's like, come on the Jordan River. I mean, that's like the Pean River. No one wants to swim in that. Come on. There's way better rivers back in our home country of Iran. We've got way cleaner waters, better rivers. You know, I I may as well bath myself there if you want me to bath in the Jordan River. What are you talking about? Now, one of his servants, luckily, says to him, you know, excuse me, Mr. Naaman. I don't know what they called them back then. Commander. if, If that prophet had asked you to go do something amazing, you would have done it. So... Why don't you do this simple thing that he's asked you to do? And so Naaman, he'd, by this stage, he'd stormed off down the road. And he was on his way home. And he thought, well, okay, I guess why not? I'm here. I'm in the area. May as well take a dip in the Nepean River. Jump off the bridge. No, And, and so he goes down to the Jordan and he, he washes himself. He has seven baths. Imagine having seven baths. My girls would love that. They love the bath. And so he bathed himself seven times. And sure enough, on the seventh time, he comes out and he is completely healed, completely clean. There's not a a, a centimeter of skin that has leprosy anymore. He's completely well. And he was amazed, shocked. He didn't expect it would work. But because he did what the word of the Lord said, he got his miracle. So he runs back to Elisha and says, this is incredible. Can I have bags of dirt? Okay, that's interesting. He fills up his donkeys with bags of dirt because he wanted to go back to his home and worship the Most High God on soil that was the Most High God's soil. Pretty cool, huh? So he literally took it back, probably put it in his backyard, made this area of land that he could go and say, this is the Lord's land and I am now following the Most High God. So he, I find it very interesting in both of these stories, people realized that God was the most high God. That's a bit of a side point for you. The, The Bible actually says his skin was made well like a baby's skin, but I say like a baby's bottom. Like a baby's bottom. Super well. Now, this story is a bit different to Jonah's because in this case, Naaman had options. And the way that he could get himself to a place of being out of options was to do the things that he was asked to do. And I think this happens a lot in our life where we have situations where we can apply some good wisdom and some self-discipline and some advice to cross some options off our list so that we get to a point where we need God. So imagine, let's say I wanted to lose weight. And I'm like, God, I want to lose 10 kilos for summer because I want to have a summer bot or whatever. God, I just want a miracle. I want I want you to come down and just I'll wake up one morning shredded. Jesus, I know you can do it, you can do anything. I need this miracle, and I'm praying and praying and believing, but I'm 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 not doing anything about it. I'm just praying and I'm like, well, God, come on, you need to come through. And God, I think He's sitting up there and he says, Jesse, look at all the options you've got. You can exercise more, you can eat better. You can get better sleep at night. All of these things will help you lose this weight. And I I believe that in these situations, if we are to cross those options off, okay, I change what I'm eating. I make sure that I'm exercising every day. I make sure that I'm getting a good night's sleep. If If I use up all of my options to the point where, okay, maybe there's something still wrong. Maybe I've got a condition and it's preventing me from losing weight still or something like that. Okay, God, well, I'm now out of options. And God's like, yes, good. Now you're in the place where I want you to be. And in that place, that's when God can bring the miracle. It's the same if I was looking for work, say I needed a new job. I could sit at home and just pray all day, God, I need a miracle. I need a new job. I need someone to just come and knock on my door and offer me work right now. Or I need someone to stop me in the street and ask me if I need work. But, but God's saying, well, you've got options. Have you applied for a job yet? Oh, no, I haven't thought about that. Have you gone online? No. Uh, have you checked the newspaper? Have you, have you reached out to friends to see if they know anyone who needs work? There are all these options that I could still take, which God actually, I believe, wants us to take so that we get to the point where we have no choice but to rely on God. Does that make sense? You know, we, we, we preach about saying that, you know, if, if you just move one step, God will do the rest. And when it comes to salvation, that's 100% true. If we just say, God, I can't save myself, I need you, boom, he will do everything required for us to be saved, and he already has. But when it comes to other things in our life, I don't know whether the same principle applies because I think God has given us the Bible, which is full of so much good instruction, and then he gave us the church where we can help each other, and there are so many ways we can practically help ourselves before we need God to do a miracle, and 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 I, I have I have seen, and even in my own life, been in situations where I'm asking God to do something miraculous, and He's probably asking me to do something practical, and the result would be the same thing. God wants us to be out of options. So as I finish this morning, and uh, the band can jump up, I want to ask you one question: What are your options? Are you like Jonah, where you need to accept that some doors have been closed and God has removed opportunities so that he can direct your steps? Or are you like Naaman, where there are some things that you need to do to use up the options that you have so that God can be in the right position to move? When you feel like you are at the end of your rope, you've got no other options, you know, it's hopeless, it's impossible, I don't know how God could do that. Take heart that that is actually the place that God prefers us to be in. This place of having to rely on Him. And He works with us so that we can get to that place that we hate being in so much. And you know what, church? I believe if we can understand this, if we can get ourselves to the place where, well, okay, it's got to be God now, I think we're going to see so much of the miraculous happening. So much more than if we just prayed about it. Praying about it's awesome, but if all we did was just pray about it, I think there's only so much God will do because there's a whole bunch. he's saying, I've, I've equipped you to do some things. So, yeah, I, I want to encourage you this morning. What are your options? Where are you at? And what can you do to be in that place that God wants you to be? Let me just pray and we'll close this message off. God, I thank you that you are such a loving and wonderful God. And I thank you that you actually want to partner with us. We're not puppets and, and we don't stay as baby Christians, God, but you mature us and you teach us how to live. And God, as we apply that, God, I pray that you would You would give us the strength to do the things that you've asked us to do. And you would give us the humility to lay down the things that you've asked us to lay down. And we pray, God, that we would see the miraculous happen like never before. In our lives, in our everyday work, in our school situation, in our neighborhoods, wherever we are, God. That as we continue to put ourselves at the mercy of your will, that you would make a way miraculously. In Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Well, I think I'm handing over to Sarah.